Okay, Mark chapter 10, if you got your iPad, smartphone, or your Bible, Mark 10, verse 35 through 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus, and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's pretty audacious, huh? What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They said, Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Well, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said, You will drink the cup I drink of and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the other ten disciples heard about what these other two were asking for, they got very indignant with James and John. Jesus called them all together for a little staff meeting, and He said, Boys, you know that those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over the people, and their high officials exercise authority over them. In my kingdom it won't be so. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you doesn't get the corner office. You must be servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. A very short little boy desperately wanted to play basketball. He even told his dad he wanted to become a pro when he was older. Knowing that his son would never be able to play the game because he was so short, the dad asked the local coach if there was anything he could do to make his kid taller. And the coach, in I guess sarcasm, says, well, you can take him down to the museum, put him on that old torture stretch rack, the coach said. Several weeks later, the coach asked the father if putting the boy on the stretch rack had helped. And the dad said, well, it didn't make him any taller, but he confessed to a lot of things I never knew he did. <laughs> Maybe we all need one of those, huh? Well, we all have dreams, don't we? Absolutely. You know, to play starting guard on the basketball team, to play quarterback in place of Tony Romo. You know, just when I thought we might have a little shot, I saw headlines yesterday that said, Tony's back. Then in lower letters it said, in the hospital. I thought, here we go. That's just preseason. Or maybe it's to be top salesperson in your company, or have the nicest home in the community, or have the perfect family, or to retire while you're young enough to live out some of your dreams. Nothing is more natural than to dream. In fact, most people dream too small. Very few people are ever accused of dreaming too big, and God never rebuked anybody for dreaming big. Over three times He rebuked Israel for thinking and dreaming too small. So the real question this morning is, your dreams are probably too small. When Michael Dell was in college up at UT, his parents drove up for a surprise visit. They were concerned that Michael's hobby, which was building computers in his dorm room, was distracting him from his studies. And his father demanded he get more serious about his college work. He asked his son, what do you want to do with your life, Michael? 
And the young college student infuriated his dad by saying, I want to compete with IBM. Now, at that time, IBM was the dominant computer company in the world. Not long after that, Michael Dell dropped out of college, raised the capital to start his own computer business. By 1999, 10 years after Michael Dell began his company, Dell Computers overtook IBM as the nation's largest seller of computers. How about that, Dad? Want me to pay off the house, Dad? You need a loan, Dad? We've got skateboard champions making $3 million a year. Teenagers in high school. Mamas and daddies saying, you're just wasting your time. Be careful. Be careful. Don't you let anybody diminish your dream. Our God is a dream-giving God, and if they don't scare the pants off of you, God didn't give it to you. You ought to have some—well, I'll talk about what kind in just a minute. So now here's a problem with James and John. They come to Jesus. They ask a favor. Teacher. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. How many of you think that's pretty bold, whatever we ask? You know, you and I do that with God. Lord, you know, this is San Antonio, usually in August, usually. We have a heat wave and a drought. Our lawns are looking a little bad today. I need you to send some rain, but don't do it on Thursday. I want to play golf. <laughs> you know, I mean, who's in charge? It should be God giving us the orders, not vice versa. So, James and John are asking a very tactless approach here, coming to Jesus. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, thank God Jesus, who is our Creator, knows we're kind of like that in our humanity. So he probably sighed and says, okay, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, not much. Just let us sit at your right hand and left hand in your kingdom. In other words, they wanted the corner office. They wanted the, uh, the head table. They wanted power, influence, and prestige. And they wanted it so they could be connected. Now, they thought that's the least the Master could do for them. Now, at least I appreciate their faith in Jesus. They knew who He was. They recognized Him as Messiah, the one sent from God. But boy, they did not understand at all the nature of the kingdom of God. They're still living with the vision of their fathers that whoever this Messiah was going to be, that when He came, He would be a conquering hero. However, Jesus comes as a ministering servant and threw them all out of whack. So their understanding didn't fit at all what Jesus was trying to do. But it still showed their faith in the Master. What it didn't show was the level of their personal commitment. That was going to come later. So Jesus said, you guys don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I drink of or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? I believe James and John were asking for donated dignity. They were asking to move to the head of the line, not on the basis of merit, but on the basis of their connection with Jesus. They didn't want to deserve that right from the Lord. They wanted a shortcut. They wanted an unfair advantage for power and prestige. You know, at a t-ball game, a little boy came up to bat. So he swatted the bat off the tee, the ball off the tee. He ran as fast as he could to third base, not first base third base. The coach went over to the little kid and said, son, you sure hit that ball a long way. The little guy said, I sure did. 
Yeah, said the coach, and you ran really fast to third base and surprised everybody. I sure did, the little guy smiled. I just have one question, the coach said. What made you run to third base instead of to first base? And the little boy said, well, because that's where I wanted to go, and I could get there a lot faster that way. <laughs> that, ain't, that, that ain't much different than us, is it? James and John wanted a shortcut based on not what they had done, but who they knew. And I'm sure they felt they deserved that position. They just didn't want to wait in line. Now, Jesus doesn't scold them for that. You know, it's all right to be ambitious if you go about achieving those ambitions in an honorable way. You're honest. You treat people in a decent manner. Ambition is a powerful motivating factor in our lives. Nothing happens without a dream. What do you do for a non-ambitious person? Not much. Not much. Son, get up. Don't you want to be something, do something, accomplish something? You've got to have a selfish ambition that's the problem, not ambition. Everybody in this room ought to have ambition. You're not too old to have ambition. You know, if Moses was 80, uh, my goodness, uh, Abraham was 100, and he still had ambition to be a, a producing a kid. That is ambitious. Uh, give, give yourself, give, put yourself in these stories. I mean, these are put here for our encouragement and for our admonition. Nothing happens without a dream. I think Jesus was disappointed by their request because it was so selfish. He said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the drink I'm going to drink of and be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? They didn't have a clue what he was saying. And they answered boldly and said sincerely, oh, we can. And Jesus says, you will drink the cup I drink, boy. You will be baptized with the baptize, baptism I'm baptized with. You have no idea what's coming. But to sit on my right hand or my left is not for me to grant. That's from the Father in heaven. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. So here's where James and John made their mistake. Their dream wasn't big enough. They were looking for petty positions of power. Jesus was asking them to join Him in redeeming the world. They were looking for donated dignity. Jesus was asking them to lay down their lives for the ultimate dream, a kingdom where God reigns in every heart. Several years ago, a very influential book came out in the corporate world. You can see a picture of it on the screen called Built to Last. I preached a sermon off of that book and that title. It's not a Christian book, but it had Christian principles in it. It's a corporate book. It was authored by James Collin and Jerry Porras. And they coined this term, look at it, B-H-A-G, B-H-A-G. BHAG describes a bold, nearly impossible vision. BHAG stands for Big, Hairy, Audacious Goals. Yeah, BHAG, Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal. Now, common sense would tell anybody that a BHAG would intimidate people and discourage them from even trying. However, con contrary to that position, Surveys have proven that the idea of something so big and nearly impossible actually energizes an organization, and they get an upsurge of motivation when a leader presents a BHAG 
vision to his people. Big, hairy, audacious goal. You don't get those very much. It's a shame. It's a shame the corporate world does more about it than the church does. You know, I think sometimes if the church had a thought, it'd be beginner's luck. It, it, we'd still be singing out of hymn books in 1948, same old song, Shall We Gather at the River? Yeah, and I hope you drown. Get out of here. We got, we got a bigger life to live. Anyway, sorry. A, a great example of a BHAG is the vision announced by President John F. Kennedy in a speech May 25, 1961, and I quote, I believe this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to Earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space, and none will be so difficult or expensive to accomplish. And you got to remember, when he said that, our missiles were blowing up on the pad. We couldn't get a monkey in space. And yet Kennedy comes out with his BHAG vision. JFK was challenging our country to put a man on the moon within 10 years, and we did. 1969, Neil Armstrong put his boot print on the moon and said, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. That was a big, hairy, audacious goal, and we did it. And we did it. Jesus was trying to get his disciples to forget their petty power games and for a moment focus on the biggest, hairiest, most audacious goal of all, which was to join him in his vision to redeem a fallen world. He was getting ready to lay his life down. They're worried about a corner office. He needed them to spread this message of his death and his resurrection that the chasm between God and humanity had now forever been bridged. You can get to God through me. He needed them to lay their lives down, their hopes, their dreams, even their life, if necessary, for the one goal, the salvation of humanity. He needed them to forget just a little bit about themselves, being masters, instead becoming servants. He wasn't distressed with them because they were ambitious. He was distressed because they were ambitious for the wrong thing. See, I, Jesus doesn't have a problem with ambitious people. God created us to dream, to invent, but to be creative, to aspire, to strive for the best. That's, I mean, God doesn't do anything half-baked. He, he does everything, and it's excellent. He made everything, and it was good. God doesn't do sloppy work, and if you're made in His image and likeness, there is within you that same desire. And so that's how the world advances, through ambitious people. Aren't you glad we're not on a manual typewriter, some smoke-filled office? Now you got computers, and you got crystal screens on stuff, and everything is lighter and smaller, and somebody had a dream. I love you, Steve Jobs, wherever you are, I love you. I thank you for what you did. And people made fun when he talked about every home having a personal computer, and everybody said, what, a, what nonsense. Hello? How many of you have a computer in your home? Look, thank you. See that, Steve Jobs? Look at there. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. I don't know which way to look for Steve, but I, I, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. I mean, these, just about everything we enjoy was created by people who said, well, if God intended man to fly, he'd have given them wings. Preachers said that. Yeah. 
And yet those preachers don't mind getting on a jet at 550 miles an hour to go somewhere. It beats a donkey or a boat, doesn't it? Somebody had a dream. I hope you keep dreaming. You know, we've been flying uh, my aviation experience. The average weight of a person was 170 pounds. That's when they started flying for weight and balances in airplanes. And, you know, we're 550 miles an hour in civilian aircraft. I I'd like to see the speed of sound as normal aviation travel to go somewhere faster. You know, going from Dallas to Sydney, Australia, as I do every year, is 17 and a half hours. I'd like to go half that time. How about, how about you? If you sat in that seat, you'd be saying, I wish somebody would dream a big, hairy, audacious dream. Yeah. Well, me too. And, and people somewhere are doing their little plan right now. Who, who would have known? Well, nope. I, I never grew up in a church that dreamed big, ever, ever. And what a shame, with so much life to live. And I thought, all we preached on was going to heaven and going to hell. And that was it. Just in our songs were, I'll fly away, just a few more weary years and I'll fly away. I thought, as worthless as you are, you should. Get out of here. Go on. It's just pitiful stuff we, we put. Just pitiful stuff. And I just thought, and God must be scratching his head, said, where did this nonsense come from? I made you. Come on, take over this world. Occupy till I come. Think big. Dream. Create. Get involved. Help people. Expand the kingdom, for crying out loud. Sheesh. People said when we went away from hymn books, we were bringing Hollywood into the church. <laughs> if only we could. That'd, that'd be good. They need Jesus. But I'm, I'm just thinking, we think technology must be sa satanic. Can you believe that? That's just insane. That came out of church. Unbelievable. Well, as I'm not going to live that small. So God created all of us to dream, to aspire, to strive for the best. That's how we advance. God uses ambitious people. Jesus has no problem with your desire to be the CEO, the desire to be recognized among your peers, the desire to have nice things. Not at all. The question Jesus would ask, is that it? Is that the extent of your dream? Because if it is, you aren't dreaming big enough. That's what he's saying. Those things are temporal. They're fleeting. I mean, who's going to be living in your million-dollar home a hundred years from now? It ain't going to be you. Who's going to be leading your company? It ain't going to be you. And if you fall over dead, who's going to be spending your insurance money? Your wife? But it ain't going to be you. <laughs> right? See, who's going to be leading your, your company? It won't be you. Your dreams are too small, Jesus said. They're only for this temporal world, and they provide only temporary satisfaction at best. Every time somebody—I have people rich and famous that are friends, and it's like every time they get the new and the biggest and the best and the fastest, then after six months there's a new one coming out, and they've got to have that. This one isn't good enough. And they've run through five wives. That's not good enough. Got to get somebody thinner, hotter, skinnier, bustier, whatever. Uh, and then it doesn't satisfy. It's like doing drugs. You, get, you take a hit, there's a buzz momentarily, and then pretty soon you got to have more hits, and then more hits. Now you're breaking in houses because you got to get hit enough until you have a reaction and you overdose and you die. 
at what point do we ever wake up to say, there's nothing wrong with having anything. The point is, if it's got you, you're in deep trouble. And, and it never makes anybody substantially fulfilled. It, it, or Hollywood would be the happiest place in the whole world. You ever see more dumb people in your whole world to have such talent, to make such money? How'd you like to make $20 million for doing a picture? I could live on that. But I'm not going to go crazy because of it. But the value system is just so wacko. So Jesus is saying, boys, look, there's nothing wrong with your other dreams, but you've got to dream a lot bigger. I've got big dreams, but mine are eternal. And this is only going to give you limited satisfaction at best. Anybody ever buy a new car and you have kids? You know, and boy, I'm telling you, you'll park that car five miles from the theater or wherever you're going because you don't want nobody to get close and scratch it. No, sir. You won't let an air molecule get near that car. You won't let the kids get in there with milkshakes or crayons or whatever. That's how it starts. Six months later, you don't care if there's a dead dog in the back seat. You don't care. You don't care. Dead French fries and empty kids have left their cookie crumbs back there, and yeah, I'll get that later. You don't even think about it. You, what happened? The thrill is gone, as, as Motown used to sing. The thrill is gone. It doesn't sustain you. So I, the whole idea is, if more would be sustainable, then these people would be extremely joyful and happy, but they're not. So they provide limited satisfaction at best, and Jesus is saying, come on, don't you want something bigger, something more? Don't you want to be part of, at least be part of something that's eternal? Don't you want to be part of saving a broken, dark world? For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.